Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Follow along with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they explore the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Hey everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of A Thousand One Good Nights. We've got Mike and Mary West with us. Guys, welcome. Thanks, Nick and Ben. Thanks, Glad Nick. to be here. Yes, we are. So, uh, listen, uh, I guess, Doctors West, um, this uh, book, Brave Irene, is a book that uh, both of you vehemently recommended, um, and it was a book that neither Nick or I had heard of, or uh, wasn't really even remotely on our radar. So um, I thought it was worth checking out. And I think it's been uh, rewarding for, for all parties involved. But maybe can you, uh, in case other people aren't familiar with it, can you tell me a little bit about how Brave Irene came into the West household's life and why you like it? And also just a little bit about what happens in the book. Sure. So I brought Brave Irene into our house. I have the same hobby that my parents gave me when I was little. It's been a special book for my family, the Israels, partly because of the name Irene, which was my grandmother's name. And we started reading it to our kids when they were at the age that they wouldn't destroy non-board books and have really enjoyed it. So Michael actually chose this book, but um, it, yeah, my, my, my passion for it swept true. Mary along, uh, <laughs> I, I would say. So, but did you, uh, was this a situation where Mike, had you heard of the book before? So was your first encounter with it through Mary? Yeah, that's correct. I had, I had never heard of the book and, um, but um, I came to, I came to love it in part because I, we realized, I think, independently that both of us could not read the book without weeping, but that, like, neither of us knew that about each other. Um, and then also it turned out that Mary reports that when she was a girl, uh, her mother also wept at the book and that Mary would uh, find it very annoying when she did so. As our daughter Cindy did tonight. <laughs> so does that mean, Mary, that you don't remember being especially moved by it or... No, I no, I wasn't especially moved by it as a child. I mean, I liked it. I liked the book. It's uh, one of the lesser known. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. William Steig, um, and I think Michael Michael had read a bunch of William Steig's other books when he was little, like Amos and Boris. No, he didn't. No, nope, I mean, we acquired those. I have no idea. But we ended up with a bunch of William Steig in our house at one. They point. were from your family. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. But but anyway, I guess part of the point you're making though is that it's something it's it's especially affecting to read this book as a parent, and presumably because of like you were able to put yourself in Mrs. Bobbin's shoes. So, but before we sort of talk about that, Mike, could you just give a quick rundown of the plot? Yeah. So uh, Mrs. Bobbin, the dressmaker, uh, falls uh, ill uh, on the day of the the ball. And so she's made a dress for a duchess and the snow is coming 
and Irene bravely uh, decides she is going to deliver the dress to the Duchess, and uh, despite many difficulties, she succeeds. Um, that is essentially the, the, the plot of it, and it's uh, uh, quite honestly a, a bit of a dull plot, and I think doesn't explain what is uh, powerful and affecting about the book, actually. Do you, do you think you or Mary might have a, have a guess at what's powerful or affecting about the book? Or So we talked about this dinner tonight with our kids. So They were unhelpful. Yeah, I mean, the, the question is, how do you describe what happens? This book, for me, is a book that is all about the ending. And in fact, it's all about the final page. Um, like, if you ask someone to describe the book, they would probably tell you what I just told you. If you want to say, why is it that I weep every single time I read this book? It's because of the final page. Can we talk about the final page? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yes. Nick, well, also, Nick, you've you've read the book, right? So you're you've yeah. got you've got firsthand experience of this with, with your girls too. Okay, okay. So yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about the final page. So the the final page is when the the basically the story has ended, right? Irene is has returned home, and um, can I can I read it to you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here it is. <laughs> uh, okay. So she's come back on the sled. Well, there was a bearded doctor in the back of the sleigh, and the Duchess had sent Irene's mother a ginger cake with white icing, some oranges, and a pineapple, and spice candy of many flavors, along with a note saying how much she cherished her gown and what a brave and loving person Irene was, which, of course, Mrs. Bobbin knew better than the Duchess. And I think like what is so amazing about this ending is that it, the, the story, it essentially returns you to Irene's mother and you realize that the entire story has taken place where the mother has been absent, but that the mother has, has been returned to the story at the very end. And you end up by getting the mother's reaction to the, to the story. And I think as a parent, that's like what is so just sort of like thrilling and and uh, about this is the idea that like your your child sort of goes out and uh, you know sallies forth against the winds and, and and travails of the world and succeeds and and Mrs. Bobbin is asleep during the entire time and there's a way in which that's sort of like I don't know what it means to be a parent right but like you your children you want them to be at their best but you realize that you want them to be at your best in the times when they need to be at their best or actually when you will have no idea like about what they are facing at that particular moment. It's only like in retrospect that you can have that kind of, I think like satisfaction about, or, or, you know, about like your children's, you know, making good decisions or being brave or, or whatever it may be. Okay, that's compelling. Mary, do you, is, is that why you're moved by that particular section? Is, or why it holds such power? I was thinking about that earlier tonight. I think, yes, I think that, Michael summed it up nicely. And I think that I would just add that the part about the Duchess recognizing what a special person Irene is, is really something wonderful to hear as a parent, because of course, Mrs. Bobbin thinks that Irene is wonderful and brave, but to have her go out into the world and receive this I don't know, outside validation and then return to the fold 
is something that that always really moves me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's this kind of weird balance, right? Because if you're in Mrs. Bobbin's shoes, it's got to be a real roller coaster. Like she's learning about her daughter's victory and delivering delivering the dress, but she's also maybe realizing that her daughter was gone overnight and she's sort of getting caught up simultaneously in all like the travails and sorrows. And so she's, but she's also proud. Like, she's, she's got a lot, she's got a lot to process. Yeah. She's like, proud. All, she's horrified. Right. I mean, I really all, really all, all at once. Your death um, that maybe getting addressed to a duchess did not warrant. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was. So this is kind of, is this kind of a frivolous errand? Like she's, it's, it's just also the Duchess can look good at her garden party while, or not her, her, her the ball while, <laughs> while, while her mother is like at home sick. I mean, I, I get at that time, like this is her mother's livelihood is a dressmaker, like an essential like <laughs> person. I don't know. Like, but like should like her, Irene convinces her mother, like, yeah, I love snow. I, it, I I'm fine to go out. Should her mother have been convinced to let Irene? Like, is her mother just a bad parent? Like it, like what, like, like what do you, what do you guys think about that? Does that, is, is that not like an, an important question or does that cross your mind? Like what, when you're I've reading this book as a, parent? As a child, um, I just thought, you know, neither Mrs. Bobbin nor Irene knew how hard it was going to snow. But like, yeah, I mean, you're right, man. Like it, the, the answer is like, yes, I've never read this as a kid. And so I only read this as an adult. And yeah, that, that has always struck me as absurd. Um, the like, the the like, oh no, the Duchess, what's she gonna do about her ball? And you have this like kid who's like, you know, basically, he's nearly died in the snow, right? And but like, I think what Mary pointed out tonight, and what I really realized in in um, rereading this recently, is how much Irene is is actually very concerned about um, her mother's craft. And she 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 disappoint. She like really wants her mother's good work to be like recognized and shared and to be put to good use. And so I think that Irene has this real like pride in her mother's work that is that is actually really important um, to the story. And so that um, it's it's important that it's a dress that her mother has made and not that it's merely like a you know like an Amazon package or something. You know that like that it's a there's a kind of there's a kind of ownership that she has of this that Irene feels for this item that is, that is important for the, that somewhat mitigates the triviality or seeming triviality of like the Duchess's dress, which, which seems like the most like, you know, Marie Antoinette sort of situation you can imagine, you know, like children freezing because of the Duchess's ball gown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even like when, when the Duchess gets it, she's not like, Oh my gosh, I feel so guilty that I was, that you almost died just to get me this dress. The dress is not worth the cost of a child's life. She's like, Oh, like, Pussy by the fire. It's great. The party's just getting started. I'm so glad you got here. I don't know, but, but but I don't know. Like, I I think, I think that's right. Well, Nick is, is somebody who just, just had brave Irene come into your life in the last like week. Like, what do you think about the book? Do you, do you buy like the, the the power of the story? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I was as affected by it. And maybe that's because I started off hearing about how moved Mike and Mary were by it. Maybe that biased me. Um, but I, many, many readings of the story before he got weepy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's cumulative and certainly parts of the plot are like certainly drag. And like, I definitely realize I don't always read all the middle pages. 
uh, even now. Um, yeah, the snowstorm is very. I mean, pretty much the whole book is is like her going through the snowstorm. That's a it's a really long. There's a lot of the like uh, psychological landscape of of Irene during the snowstorm is pretty seems pretty complex to me. Like there's a lot going on sort of yeah. in her head, whether it's her kind of anthropomorphizing the wind and trying to figure out like, is it, you know, like arguing back and forth with wind or, or even contemplating kind of a, a passive suicide. Yeah. <laughs> she's buried in the snow and she's literally thinking to herself, it would be, maybe it would just be better if I just kind of laid and died here. Cause I'm already buried. Um, so the, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot going on. It's, the plot is sort of um, isn't super dynamic, but I think internally there's a lot going on. And I, I was kind of how old is Irene? But developmentally, like where is she? Do you guys think? We think she's ten. Okay. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you guys think? That would make sense. At first, I was thinking younger, but for for that, if you if you think about her again, kind of psychological makeup and all the kind of moves she's doing, it would make sense that she's more in that kind of uh, later childhood approaching middle school kind of age. Yeah, I think the, the plot captures that because she has to, the, the question is sort of like, is she actually suited for this errand? And it turns out the answer is like, no, but it wasn't um, obvious in advance that she wasn't, you know what I mean? So she has to be very like uh, in a sort of cusp you know, cusp of at least teenagehood uh, for the plot to make sense, I think. Yeah, well, so how, so Nick, your uh, your daughters are younger than 10. Were they able to sort of put, like, um, put them their, themselves in Irene's shoes? Like, were they able, like, did they seem, did she seem, like, kind of accessible in, in that way? Jack was, Jack was pretty petrified. I think the length, like, the length of the, the snowstorm period he was really concerned and I, and I not having like uh, screened it beforehand, didn't know how long the snowstorm section was going to be. So I kept on anticipating that as soon as we turned the page, there were going to be, you know, warm lights or, you know, that, that, but no, it's just like more snow drifts, like, you know, more the wind, like saying brutal things to her. <laughs> like, so, and, and I was like, yeah. I, and, and uh, I was telling uh, Mike and Mary this earlier, we've, We've recently been watching uh, some nature documentaries, um, some kind of grim nature documentaries, and Jack is just now sort of aware that things don't always pan out in nature, which is kind of terrifying. And and also he's going through a weird phase where he has to find like a bad guy to sort of put. He's he, who's he asks like who's the bad guy in the Irene story? Is it is it Mrs. Bobbin? Like who is like who's it going to be? And then just the fact that it's nature that's sort of the bad guy, and that Irene is indefinitely in this kind of hostile environment, that was really scary for him. But d- did your girls, like, were they, w- were they nervous or, or, or tense or w- what was the mood of the Wignall house? <laughs> um, so uh, just to give the age ranges, my oldest is uh, four and a half. Um, and my younger one is just turned three. The, th- the three-year-old Gabriella, I'm not sure she knows exactly what's going on. It's, it's a little much for her, I think. But Elena was very transfixed by it. Like, really, she got that. The, I don't know if you, your guys' kids have this, but when she's really interested in a book, she gets this like look where she's kind of captivated by it. She doesn't necessarily ask a lot of questions, but you can tell she's really uh, transfixed by it. Um, so she's yeah, and she she asked to read it every single night. Like it's it's the one she wants to read every every single time. Um, oh, yeah. so we've had it for the last week or so. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, 
What's that? That, that? That's rough. It's a lot of brain Irene. <laughs> that's a lot of wind. But, but I, I, I don't know. I should, I'm always on the fence about whether I should ask my kids um, like leading questions about it. Like this question about the, the wind and sort of the bad guy. Because one reading of it is, yeah, like nature is the bad guy. But then the, the other part too is that it, it, it's sort of her own internal struggle. Like she's just kind of projecting her own sort of inner ambivalence about whether to keep going or go back and forth, go back onto the wind, right? And so it's, and I don't know, maybe to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. To a psychologist, everything's a, an, an inner <laughs> psychological struggle. But I, I, I don't know. That's interesting, Ben, about the, so Jack asks specifically, who's the bad guy? Yeah, who's the bad guy? And I, I thought about telling him it's it's this class system that that Irene has to be out <laughs> delivering the dress to the Duchess so that his you know her, his mother can get medical help from the from the doctor, but uh, no, I, eventually I did I, I kind of said the wind I I, I kind of changed my mind and said well the the wind is kind of because the wind takes on this and it, it's saying things and I said the wind is being mean and and and. Nature is harsh. I don't know. I, I floundered a little bit. Um, but it also saves the dress for her, right? Yeah, that's that's so true. It, yeah. It's it's kind of unclear if the wind if the wind is actually uh, malicious or not. Yeah. So what's like what's so Irene? Like, let's just talk a little bit about Irene's decision making. Like, so she presses on. Like if if it's frivolous for her to 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 go through the snow to deliver this dress. Is it like it seems even more rash that at, at a certain point she's pressing on just to deliver the empty box and say, just so you know, I tried to deliver the dress? Or is it at a certain point she she knows that she's she's too far along and so she just has to try and get there to make it to, to survive? Or no, that's like the, that's that's the real moral bravery I think there, right? That she's <laughs> she's going to keep going even though she just has to disappoint the Duchess and and her mom, but she's still going to kind of carry out the journey. I, I think I don't know. That's that's how I read it. Like to her, there's I don't think there's much question in her mind about whether it's frivolous. It's certainly not. I mean, it's it's epic to her. Yeah, yeah. I think this is all about her loyalty to her mother. And you know, perhaps Mrs. Bobbin is a seamstress. Maybe this for her. You know, if the dress isn't delivered, you know, Mrs. Bobbin doesn't get paid. Perhaps you know this could actually be very significant for them financially. But I don't think that that is what Irene was thinking. I was just thinking about that earlier tonight. <laughs> <laughs> when she when she thinks about it, she she thinks all of my mama's hard work. Like I have right. to I have to go and explain. Like this is all about her mother. Well there's there, there's kind of like I think actually three decision points as I recall because there's there's first where she loses the dress and she realizes I'm going to be uh you know, a mensch, so to speak, and she's going to show up and she's going to explain, you know, what happened. And then there's the part where she just gets lost and it's dark and she realizes she doesn't know where she's going, but she just has to go because she knows that she will die if she sits still. And then there's the final one, which which never really rings true to me, where she like sees the house, but then falls in the snow and then contemplates a uh, passive suicide, as you said, Nick, which like Amazon reviewers really uh, fixate on. <laughs> Um, but there's like, there's sort of these three decision points that aren't all identical, I guess. Um, the, the other thing I was going to say is that the, she, she does show like the thing about the box and the sled where she turns the box into a sled. Oh yeah. Yeah. She has several false starts. She tries to sit on it and it won't go. She realizes she has to get a running start 
Um, that's really interesting because, you know, the whole idea is that she's been like trudging for, for miles and the snow has been nothing but a hindrance. And then all of a sudden she completely uses the snow to her advantage um, uh, at, at the very end, which is, which is sort of like an interesting turn. Cause Irene is, is certainly brave and like, uh, you know, good at trudging, but never ha- doesn't, hasn't really shown any signs of like ingenuity so far. Yeah. I think that's yeah. important too. Cause it, 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 like you could also read her bravery as foolhardiness and that at least shows that she's resourceful and she's not just like sticking to the same thing because she doesn't have the imagination to do anything different or because, you know, she can't think things through. Right. Like that, like, like, like it really, like she, she really kind of, like you said, tur- turns the tables and that's like a, I don't know. That's, that, that that's another, that, that's, 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 I feel like when you really start to like have hope that she's going to turn, turn the thing around. Can I interject with yeah. the thing that was my favorite when I was little? Oh yeah, of course. Um, it is the descriptions and pictures of food. <laughs> I don't know why as a child, I actually still, I love, I am just so delighted by the pictures and the descriptions of the foods, the feast. We spent more time with our children discussing what Irene is eating than about the moral of the story, which our 11 year old said, I don't know, you want us to be like brave Irene or something? <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of that spice cake with white icing i don't know if the bowl that irene has in front of the fire like are those rolls potatoes chocolate chip cookies mm-hmm. you know because there is an ice cream sundae on the way so maybe it's not chocolate chip cookies mm-hmm. but then again she did just get caught in a snowstorm so maybe this is a <laughs> sort of evening <laughs> and what could flavors are the spice candy that that was also another yeah jack actually had he he was interested in like breaking down like what the spice candy was and i was like i don't don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i was like but she seems to be enjoying it you know so have you guys read the Francis the Badger books? Because those have even better like loving descriptions of bizarre food items Mm -hmm. That makes me think, Mary, of one I can remember first reading the Redwall books and being totally enchanted by the food in those books. I don't know if you guys have read those or if your kids have, but oh yeah, yeah. There, there's just like just delectable descriptions of raspberry cordials and oh man. Well, we'll have to do the. We haven't done Wind of the Willows yet, but Wind of the Willows is just an mm. excuse to like. It's just a bunch of like plots tying together elaborate picnics, and so it's just an excuse to. <laughs> talk about like they're just always getting out of rowboats and unpacking you know picnic campers and, and it's great so um the book that this reminded me of was have you guys ever read hans brinker and the silver skates where it's like he goes off and skates and then he has to bring home a doctor for his father who had like a, a hard fall and it, it's like it's the same kind of like like going off on a, a child and, and i was always like the child seems so much braver than i was and then also the winter environment growing up in texas was really foreign and then he, and then the kid ends up saving the day by sort of going out into the cold and then coming back with like medical, you know, help. Have you guys, have you guys ever read Hans Brinker? It's mm-hmm. really good. It's, it's, really, I, it's I did read it when I was little. Um, it, it also reminds me of the little engine that could. So it, it's sort of this, this perilous journey that seems outsized for such a small thing that kind of starts with empathy or compassion. And there's the whole kind of, 
I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then eventually it, um, it turns out, but that was my first sort of association that came to mind. Yeah, I, I thought about that too. Just, just in terms of, but I mean, in the, in the, uh, little engine that could, at least the train is bringing like, in addition to the, the toys and treats, like healthy food, even though, I mean, <laughs> with lollipops and milk, but, uh, but I guess the other thing is that Irene brings back all this food to her mother. So, I mean, that in a certain way she's vindicated because it turns out that it's like, it may have seemed frivolous, but actually at the more, the even more triumphant journey is when she comes home in the carriage and it, it actually was like, it, it was totally the right move because she, she's able to, I mean, she, she, there's a feast that she has at the, the Duchess's, Castle, but the the spread, the, you know, the, the gift basket that she returns with is also incredible. I, that, I like that you, you brought up that point about her her coming home because one of the things that I really like about this book is there's a lot of really rich detail that gives it a lot of texture. Like like the fact that she's when she comes home with the footman and the sleigh to see her mom at the end, she's asleep. Like when she comes home, like that's a that's such an unnecessary but awesome detail to include or when the when the dress blows away in the wind it, it, it's described as the dress blows away with the like wrapping paper as attendance like as, as mm-hmm. if it's sort of dancing away so there's there's just a lot of really great um attention to detail it seems like it, it, even though the the plot is a little plotting um, i was say it needs that because otherwise you would not you would give up in, in, in the middle of a snowstorm too yeah, this beautiful language like even you know the wind you know the wind wallops twists shakes and snatches the package it's yeah a lot of fun a lot of fun words so this i have a question did do we think that mrs bobbin like knows what happens because the note at the end says that the Duchess, the, the note from the Duchess says how much she cherished her gown and what a brave and loving person Irene was. And the last line is, which of course Mrs. Bobbin knew better than the Duchess. And so it's like, does Irene's, the proof of Irene's bravery and lovingness to us, the readers, is like what she does. But it's almost like her mother has none of that. Uh, like data so to speak but her mother nonetheless knows better than like we do how brave and loving her daughter is even though she actually didn't get to see her like trying it out do you guys know what i mean oh do you know what happened i feel like mrs i mean not yet i don't think she yet understands what has happened but nevertheless she knows better than the duchess how brave and loving her daughter is um well i mean i and i think you get to see some of that her mother is intuiting because when she wakes up and then she has that horrible like moment that every parent fears you go to your child's bed and the child's bed is empty. And then she rushes out and it's just snow. And then, and then there's a moment where like she's, you just imagine her imagining her Irene out there in a snowdrift somewhere. And that's really interesting because what is like, so she, just after she sees the, just before that la- last page that you like so much, Mike, it says, would you like to hear the rest? Yeah. So it, it gives you the option to opt out of the last page and just, and just like leave her like, in the doorway, seeing her child come back and stop there. Like, what do you, isn't that kind yeah, of what's a, going a, on with that? Isn't that a strange <laughs> thing? I know. William Steig is so charming and strange. I don't know what to make of that, but I am totally charmed by it. I mean, I, I think that it's just a way of further setting off 
the the final scene. Um, yeah, it's, it's like a good dash instead of a comma. You know, it really right, kind of right. sets off the last. And the yeah. truth, the truth is, I always wait for the answer whenever I read that line. Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. They always say yes, but like, uh, I, I always do. I always do read the rest. I mean, I, I what you were saying, Ben, about her having that fear, and there's a way in which it's interesting. Like, I've I've never felt it because, of course, it's like a you we we know that Irene is fine, and so we don't really actually feel. Well, I don't really feel with the mother any like real fear. You know, I I can imagine what it would be like for her to feel that, but I I've, I've never it's never felt like a serious moment to me. I also feel like the um that that funny um would you like to hear what happens next line? It, it sort of plays into the more of the, the texture of the book and that the, the narration is, is all over the place. Like the, in the beginning, the narrator is a very, a pretty straightforward kind of third person narrator, but then in the snowstorm, it became the narrator kind of becomes Irene's own, like it, it becomes internal to her kind of, it's like when she's contemplating suicide in the snowbank. Um, and then at the end, like the narrator pops out and is literally talking to the reader. So it's it, it, it's sort of fitting that the, the the narration would go all over the place, including straight to the reader. So Nick, Nick as a psychologist, what are what do you think about like I guess like my sort of like hypothesis about the 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 figure of the mother in the story, which is that the mother is a character in the story who never witnesses any of the things that her child does. But it is sort of, you know, the, the sort of like moral center and like the thing that her daughter is always thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's right. I mean, because I, I think that's what makes it so relatable as a parent or, or a big part of it anyway. Like, like you're saying, you sort of, we like, because we're so involved in our kids' lives, we, we sort of imagine that we're there all the time. But really, we know there's huge, sw- increasingly as they get older, there's huge swaths of time where they're on their own, right? And, and, and there's kind of a existential anxiety about that. Like, what what's that going to be like? Um, so yeah, I, I think that it it really, um, really works on the, the level of parents reading this. Like all great kids' books, it it's relatable to the kids, but it's also really relatable um, as parents. I think for exactly that reason, Mike. And I think that's one of the reasons that like the, one of those final pages where you see that those little details, like you see the image of Irene asleep. That's something that as a parent, you like, I feel like, mm-hmm. like, you, like you see your, you see your kids just falling asleep in all kinds of places. And that, that sings home more than if, I think if I'd read this as a kid. Wow. I feel like I understand this book a lot better now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I finally understand why I cry on the last page every time. <laughs> last thing is the the book has that effect that uh, that, that I or that, that 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 I get a lot when I read old, books that are like older than 1990, where kids are doing things that no kid after 1990 would do at that age. Like she's carrying around like a tray with like a hot teapot. <laughs> like I don't care how old she like she's. If she if she's ten, like my kid's not carrying around a pot of hot pot of tea, you know? <laughs> um, and, and she's doing things, you know, she's carrying hot pots of tea and wandering around in the snow. And it's one of those things where it's like, is it is it just is, is the kid older than I think she is, or is it just that like you know our our acceptance of danger for our kids has changed, and that's why 
it, there feels like there's a mismatch. Well, how do you react to that, Mike? Do you do you hop in and tell your kids like, now she is very brave, but I don't want you like out wandering in the snow, and you better not be carrying any like hot teapots around. That's a that's just for this book. That's not a that, but that, that, that's not how it goes in this house. Like, do you do you feel uneasy that she's setting a bad example of, or, or that or that that Mrs. Bobbin is being like a, a negligent, you know, old fashioned mother or, or something? Or no, that's never crossed our minds. No. <laughs> I also, in the same vein, I appreciate that she, Irene is, there's also a shift, I, th- I feel like maybe after around 1990, where all little girls in children's books are like insufferably adorable. And Irene is not at all. <laughs> She's kind of homely looking. And I, yeah. I, f- I find that um, kind of nice and refreshing, actually. Yeah. Irene in her ordinary dress was radiant. That's right. She was not right. She was not like a star in the sky, but she was radiant. Well, I think that's a good that's a good note to end on. Thank you guys so much for uh, introducing this. Obviously, the Wignall House is reading it every every night, so we'll see if Nick still thanks you in a a month or so. But yeah, man, got to read Wignall. Yeah, if you'd like to check Thank out you. William Stide with a interminable uh, middle, check out Sylvester's Magic Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Thousand and One Good Nights. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.